Can you dream of a world immune to cancer? Hello, everyone. My name is Nick, and I'm the host of the annual live stream for The Cure, where content creators and podcasters from around the world join me to raise money for the Cancer Research Institute and Immunotherapy Research, which is training the body's immune system to fight against all forms of cancer. Over the past seven years, thanks to the power of indie podcasters and the indie podcasting community and listeners just like you listening to this right now, we have raised over $90,000. And as I record this now, the eighth annual live stream for The Cure is barreling down upon us really, really quickly in just about two weeks. So join us, please, from May 29th through June 1st for 48 hours of amazing content from people all over the world and help us fight for a world immune to cancer. And I'll return you to your regularly scheduled programming. Thank you so, so much. And together... We can make a difference. All right, let's do this one last time. In a world overflowing with movies, we need a hero. Someone to separate the bad from the good. Hi everyone, I'm Em and welcome to Verbal Diorama episode 32, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. And this is episode 6 of my animation season, following on from Arthur Christmas, Akira, Kubo and the Two Strings, The Incredibles and the Lego Movie. I hope that you guys are all enjoying this season as much as I am. Um, thank you for the amazing response that I got to the Lego movie. Um, you'll be pleased to know that actually that the Lego movie 2, the second part, is being scheduled for later on this year. I'm hoping I can stick it in around June time because honestly it's just as great and I think it really does deserve to be talked about. If you're new to Verbal Diorama, welcome. The last few episodes seem to have been super popular and I know that it's not just my friends and family downloading those. So if you're new to this little arena uh welcome to the party pals um i don't just talk about animation um but i am till the end of february so stick around you'll notice there's been a distinct lack of studio ghibli and disney uh in this season but don't worry because they're coming um we're actually really near the end of this animation season um but i want to bring out the big guns for this final month and to me there's no animated movie that is as accomplished, risk-taking, diverse and perfect as Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. And while undoubtedly this episode isn't as big of an undertaking as the next one will be, um, I'll tell you more about that later, this is actually kind of daunting <laughs> uh, because I've done incredible um, and I've done awesome and now I'm moving on to the amazing. Um, it seems like I need to take a leap of faith. Yeah. Gotta go. If you want me to drive you, we gotta go now. Oh, I'll walk. Personal chauffeur going once. It's okay. <laughs> Seriously, Dad, walking would have been fine. Breaking news. Spider-Man saves the day again. Spider-Man. This guy swings in once a day, zip zaps off Nancy. Accountability. Speed up. Speed up. I know, you know these kids. Don't man. You get arrested? Guys, don't cops run red lights? Well, yes, some do. 
But uh, not your dad. In your universe, there's only one Spider-Man. But there's another universe. It looks and sounds like yours, but it's not. My name's Miles Morales. Hey, kid. You're like me. How? I knew my day would come around this time. I know it's complicated. Just had to get my soul you want to know what happened to you? I can teach you to be Spider-Man. Mm, I love this burger. So delicious. Mm, one of the best burgers I've ever had. You have money, right? I'm not very liquid right now. I think you're gonna be a bad teacher. How am I supposed to save the whole world? You can't think about saving the world. You have to think about saving one person. One thing I know for sure, don't do it like me. Do it like you. Brooklyn! I see the spark in you. It's amazing. Hands up! And whatever you choose to do with it, you'll be great. I love you, Miles. Yeah, I know, Dad. You gotta, gotta say, say I love you back. Dad, are you serious? I, I want to hear it. it. You want to hear me I say it? I love you, Dad. You're dropping me I off out of school? I love you, Dad. Look at this place. Dad, I love you. Dad, I love you. That's, That's a copy. copy. Time to swing, just like I taught you. When did you teach me that? I didn't. It's a little joke for team building. Hey, guys. Okay, who are you? I'm Gwen Stacy. Come on. How many more spider people are there? Save us at Comic-Con. What's coming? Let's go! Whoa. Bitten by a radioactive spider in the subway, Brooklyn teenager Miles Morales suddenly develops mysterious powers that transform him into the one and only Spider-Man. When he meets Peter Parker, he soon realises there are many others who share his special, high-flying talents. Miles must now use his newfound skills to battle the evil Kingpin, a hulking madman who can open portals to other universes and pull different versions of Spider-Man into our world. Okay, so the cast in this movie, I mean, I am a big fan of uh, quite a lot of the casting decisions that I've kind of had during this season because I find that a really great animated movie has a really great cast and they cast for the voices really well, sort of, and they did it for the Lego movie, which I love, and they did it for The Incredibles. Um, And again, I feel like with Spider-Man to the Spider-Verse, this cast is just phenomenal it's just beyond anything everyone is so perfect everyone is on their a game it's it's astonishing um so i'm going to go through the cast i'm going to talk about some of the characters a little bit later but i just want it on record that everyone knows that this cast is just i mean like chef's kiss perfection so we have shamik moore as miles morales jake johnson as peter b parker Haley steinfeld as gwen stacy Mahershala Ali as Aaron Davis, Miles' uncle. Brian Tyree Henry as Jefferson Davis, Miles' father. Lily Tomlin as Aunt May. John Mulaney as Spider-Ham. Kimiko Glenn as Penny Parker. Nicholas Cage as Spider-Man Noir. Zoe Kravitz as Mary Jane Watson. Chris Pine as Peter Parker. Luna Lauren Velez as Rio Morales, Miles' mother. Catherine Hahn as Olivia Octavius. And Leif Schreiber as Wilson Fisk. Um... 
as I said, I'm going to talk about specific characters and probably some of my favourite voice actors in this movie in a little bit later. Um, so it was written by Phil Lord and it was directed by Bob Perchietti, Peter Ramsey and Rodney Rothman. Um, it was produced by Phil Lord and Christopher Miller and I made a bit of an error last episode. So on the Lego movie, I talked about Lord and Miller um, I talked a lot about Lord and Miller. I'm not going to go into all of that again, because if you want to listen, listen on the Lego movie, because I'll tell you a little bit about them. But I erroneously stated last episode that this movie was written by both of them. And that was a big uh -uh wrong, um, because only Phil Lord actually has a writing credit. Um, so I am very sorry for making uh, that mistake. I got very excited, I think, about talking about Lord and Miller again, because Honest to God, the guy's geniuses. I mean, anyone, I said last time, anyone who can make 21 Jump Street a really fantastic, fun movie and then make a sequel that improves on everything that 21 Jump Street did so well. I think it's, yeah, they're they're wicked. Um, so, as I said, they are producers on this movie. Also producing were Sony Staples, Avi Arad and Amy Pascal, as well as Christina Steinberg. Avi Arad is the chairman, CEO and founder of Marvel Studios. Amy Pascal was the chairperson of Sony Pictures Entertainment until 2015 when she started her own production company, Pascal Pictures, uh, whose first release was the 2016 Ghostbusters movie. Um, and I'll be completely honest <laughs> and say that movie is not only in the schedule, which I'm very excited about. I've also got a guest coming on to talk about Ghostbusters 2016 um, because I am not ashamed to say I love that movie. Um, and that means that there are at least two people in the world who really love the 2016 Ghostbusters. My personal history with Spider-Man, um, again, I'll be completely honest, I've never read the comics uh, because I was always more of an X-Men girl when it came to reading comics as a kid. Um, I love the Sam Raimi movies. Oh, I can give or take three, I'm not going to lie. Um, I think Spider-Man 2 is just genius movie. I think it's probably up there as being one of the very best comic book movies ever made. I think it's got one of the best depictions of a comic book villain um, in Alfred Molina's Doc Ock. As I said, three, um, it's, I think it's a bit overstuffed. I actually really enjoyed The Amazing Spider-Man. I know that's a bit of a contentious uh, opinion to have. Um, I think Andrew Garfield gets far too much stick. Um, I think that he clearly is just having the time of his life playing Spider-Man. Um, Emma Stone is just brilliant in those movies. To be fair, Emma Stone can do pretty much anything and I would love it. Um, and their chemistry is is just great. Obviously, they were dating at the time, so it would be. Um, but those movies, too, is not great, I'll admit. But they definitely don't deserve to be seen as the bad Spider-Man movies. Um, and sort of moving on to the version that we got in the MCU, sort of going on from Captain America Civil War, I think Tom Holland is pretty perfect. I think he is so much fun to watch. And again, he's clearly just having the time of his life. Um, I kind of liked that they had this kind of father figure for him with Tony Stark um, and with those specific sort of Spider-Man movies for, for Homecoming and Far From Home. I love Michael Keaton in um, Homecoming and I love Jake Gyllenhaal in Far From Home. I think getting those guys on board was just perfection for those. Um, because I never read a Spider-Man comic, really, um, I'm not up to date on Spider-Man lore and the different universes. Um, so to be honest, 
I'm going to kind of step away from that and I'm not going to go into it because I don't think it's fair to kind of pretend that I know. I mean, actually, I pretend that I know a lot of stuff, but I'm not going to pretend that I know that. Um, There's a lot to talk about without going into the history of the character and Miles Morales's introduction. Um, Needless to say, though, even though I never have really read a Spider-Man comic, um, I am a bit of a nerd, as you know. So I knew who Miles Morales was and I knew how important Miles Morales was. Um, So I knew who he was uh, before this movie, but this movie made me love Miles Morales. Let's talk about, just briefly, because we have got... uh, I keep saying we, I don't mean to. I, me, I have got a lot to cover in this episode because this episode is going to be a little bit late for patrons and... Uh, I apologised on Twitter for that because it just so happened that I wasn't happy with the level of research that I'd done and I wanted to do more and I wanted to basically make this episode as as brilliant as it could possibly be with me running it. Um, so I spent a, an extra evening this week researching and getting as much information as possible to d- basically try and make it as good as it could possibly be. So um, for patrons, it's a day late, but If anyone who's not a patron and just gets it on a Thursday morning, you'll still get it. Um, But where was I? Oh, okay, production history. Oh, God, okay. It's going to be one of those episodes, guys. Really sorry. Uh, (laughs) uh, So in 2014, um, Sony Pictures was hacked. Uh, It was in the news. There was loads of stuff going on about Sony Pictures being hacked. And a load of confidential data was released. Um, This included things like personnel data, salaries, uh, copies of unreleased movies and plans and scripts for future movies um and so one of the many 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 leaked emails uh, contained information about an upcoming animated comedy set in the spider-man universe that involved lord and miller as well as details about a spider-man cinematic universe uh, movies around the Sinister six and venom as well as purported talks between marvel studios and sony about the character of spider-man's inclusion in a little-known movie called captain america civil war Um, Although at that point, those talks broke down and it was announced in 2015 instead. So about a year later, um, we got the news that Spider-Man was going to be in Civil War. Um, We know how that turned out. It turned out great. Um, Interestingly, we did get a Venom movie. Um, I actually thought it was decent, to be fair. Um, I probably would have quite liked an R-rated Venom movie, but I actually thought it was pretty great up until the traditional kind of cgi battle at the end um i would have liked a bit more about the relationship between eddie brock and venom because i thought that tom hardy did an incredible job at kind of portraying the two sides of that character um but um anyway i digress so speaking of spider-man's inclusion in the mcu post-civil war as i've said in 2017 marvel and sony co-produced and released spider-man homecoming which starred tom holland because of this, um, it seemed to totally overshadow Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Um, because at that time, the focus was very much on this live action, this new version of Spider-Man that was going to be in the MCU. It was big news to have Spider-Man, to have this co-production. And everyone was really excited to see what Tom Holland um, could do with the character. Um, and Spider-Verse to me, it felt like it really kind of pulled the rug out from under everyone. Like, this movie seemed to come out of nowhere. And it wasn't that people didn't know about it because everyone kind of heard about it, but no one thought it would be this great, genuinely. Um, And this is kind of something that 
goes for Spider-Verse and kind of goes against the MCU because there is no chance in hell that a live action movie could pull off this story and the way this looks. Um, again, kind of going back to how artistic and, and how expressive animation can be against live action. It doesn't matter if you have all the CGI in the world. It's not going to look or feel anything like this. Most CGI animated movies rely on sort of super realistic depictions. They want to look as real as possible. Um, Pixar, this is something they pride themselves on. If you look at Pixar movies throughout the ages, the ages, I mean, well, okay, since 1995, um, they have been innovating each movie. So each movie, they have done something different and they have wanted to really sort of push on this technology to make things look as realistic as possible so talking about things like fur hair water different species of animals um and it's kind of reached a point now where some of their movies can look a little bit sort of uncanny valley because they look so realistic but our brains are kind of like well hold on they can't be real because it's cgi um the directors and animators of Spider-Verse were keen to not use those techniques. Um, they wanted to make this movie look completely unlike anything else um, and also to distinguish itself from the very well-known Spider-Man live-action movies, which, as I said, have been rebooted three times since 2002. Essentially, I've, they were told to take what's been fixed, and I use that in inverted commas, sort of in animation over the years and break it. Uh, and create something completely visually unique, completely new and completely fresh. Um, uh, spoiler alert, they succeeded. The team at Sony Pictures Imageworks, there were 177 animators on staff. And get ready to have your mind blown, as, as, I, as I had my mind blown when I found this out. So one second of animation in this movie took one week to animate. I'm just listening to all your minds being blown right now. Uh, <laughs> um, so the animation in this movie is really special. Um, I mentioned before uh, in Akira, actually, uh, about traditional animation being 24 frames per second and it's animated on the ones. Um, so essentially each frame is different. Each frame has a certain little tiny movement to animate it on the ones. Spider-Verse is animated mostly on the twos. So that means essentially that in for certain characters in certain situations, because it's not all the time, um, you would have two frames where the character does not move. The background changes, but the characters stay the same each two frames. Um, that was very character dependent. Um, so in the scene where you had um, Peter B. Parker and Miles Morales sort of swinging through the trees... If you actually look very closely, you can see that Peter B. Parker is animated on the ones. His animation is very smooth. He knows what he's doing. The character's been doing this for 20 years. Whereas with Miles, he is animated on the twos. So his kind of movements feel a little bit more jolty. Um, and they took this and they basically took these two characters in the same scene and animated them differently. Um, which we're going to talk about that in a bit more detail later about all of these different ways that they they did all these different animation styles in in one scene it's truly mind-blowing um so another thing that they did was they chose not to use motion blur um and instead they used a feature called smear um this is where each frame contains multiple items um for example a hand um to show the movement over that frame 
it's really, really hard to describe it on a podcast. <laughs> um, but if you pause at any one time when they're showing fast motion, um, so any kind of scene where someone is moving specifically fast, you'll often see kind of, um, for example, like a leg, and then you'll see like a smear that looks a bit like a leg next to it. Um, and that is basically how they show the motion of the leg. So that one frame has the leg and then it has where the leg's going to be in the next frame. Um, and that was used um, as opposed to traditional motion blur, which is essentially where the image is blurred to show a a certain amount of speed or movement. Also, like Akira, uh, <laughs> they use action lines. And this was something that we talked about in Akira when they're on the motorbike. And you see these gloriously hand-drawn, by the way, lines sort of following the bikes. Um, this movie does a very similar thing uh, with action lines. Um, it almost feels a bit like an homage to Akira. And I don't know if that was intentional. Um, but especially when the Prowler is on the screen, because his movements are very, very fast. Um, a lot of the time when he moves his arms, you'll see like an action line. Um, and also when he's on his bike as well. Um, Honestly, there's so much, there's so much incredible, incredible work that's gone into this movie. It's, it's astonishing. This movie uses a variety of different animation styles. But one thing that it does incredibly well is when we're talking about a movie that is essentially computer generated, what they did was they actually took each frame and then they digitally edited it through the CG programs and then overlaid it with uh, hand-drawn drawings. It actually almost feels like a multiverse shown in animation because it mixes a CG which almost looks stop motion um, at times due to the animation on the twos. Um, it then takes these hand-drawn overlays on top of the CG animation. Um, it then mixes it with these sudden frames of pure hand-drawn comic book panels called graphical flash frames um, with textures shown by halftones. So that's dots that look like comic book print. Um, it also adds shading done with hatching um, which are lines uh, across the edge representing light and shade. It also uses uh, Jack Kirby's very specific use of uh, dots and circles to represent energy. Um, this was called Kirby Crackle or Kirby Dots. Um, this is used predominantly to astonishing effect um, in the Super Collider. It also, just to, just, just to add to everything else that it's doing, it utilises a print defect um, often found in comic books called misregistration, whereby the print is off-centre um, and it essentially creates a halo of colour around the original image um, because in print, blacks are made up of CMYK um, and if one of those colours isn't aligned, it shows that colour as a border. Um, I talked about focus shots um, using animation so superbly in The Incredibles and also in the Lego movie as well. Um, and Spider-Man to the Spider-Verse takes this one step further by not only including these out-of-focus shots, but also using misregistration to do this, um, which kind of goes one step further to genuinely make this movie look like a constant moving comic book, which is essentially what it's supposed to be. Um, graphic panels were also used to show passage of time, um, which is... A, in a comic book where you've got one page and you've got many, many different things kind of all shown in panels. And just when you thought they couldn't add anything else, they chuck in some onomatopoeia, um, which is a visual representation of sounds on screen, um, such as when the car is screeching to a halt, when it almost hits miles, you see screech across the screen, that's onomatopoeia. I mean, and this, 
this right here is why I love animation. Because you can do everything. You can express it in any way you want. And the team on Spider-Verse took that and not only ran the animation equivalent of the London Marathon, but they were like, no, 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 we want to do multiple marathons in multiple countries, one after the other. And then instead of taking a break, decide to smash Usain Bolt's world record. Not because they could or because it was easy, but because of the sheer ability to want to make this the most ambitious animated movie ever made. And genuinely, honestly, I don't think anything surpasses it. Let me know if you think differently. Hit me up on Twitter, at Verbal Diorama. Give me a suggestion of any other animated movie that has so much love for the genre it sits within, pays homage beautifully to its legacy and takes so many risks. I will wait <laughs> for anyone to let me know uh, because I genuinely don't think it exists. Another thing that this movie does so incredibly well that's not completely obvious, there's a lot of talk in Hollywood about cinematic universes and when we look at the success of Marvel, um, it's a success that so many others have actually tried to emulate. Um, obviously, DC have tried it. Um, Universal have also tried it. Don't watch The Mummy 2017, watch The Mummy 1999. Um, and both of them really struggle to form this kind of cohesive team build-up element from origin stories. Some people like Justice League. I really didn't. Um, Wonder Woman was great. I was not keen on Justice League. Um, and don't even get me started on Dark Universe. Um, <laughs> but the great thing about Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse is... If you look at it closely, it's the origin story of Mars Morales, as well as a reboot of the Peter Parker storyline that we already know, because as the movie tells us, we've heard this a lot. Um, it's also a sequel to that story of what happened next for, in inverted commas, our Peter. But most interestingly, it's its own cinematic universe franchise starter. This is kind of the Spider-Man Avengers movie where all of these characters come together to save the day. This is what DC wanted from Justice League or Universal wanted for the Dark Universe. Seriously. <laughs> the Mummy 1999. It's right there. Just don't even bother. <laughs> Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse not only did that effortlessly, it didn't shout about it. It's kind of barely noticeable. It doesn't make a big deal. It's there. But it's done so right to not shout about it. It's, again, it's mind-blowing. I mentioned earlier about different animation styles um, and how all of these beautiful layers of animation come together. Obviously, we have certain characters who are animated in a very similar way. They use a very similar style. So Peter B. Parker and Miles Morales and Gwen Stacy. Um, and then you introduce these other characters who are very different. So Penny Parker is obviously based on anime. We have Spider-Ham, who's very traditional Looney Tunes animation. So very two-dimensional animation. And then you also have Spider-Man Noir. Um, and Spider-Man Noir... Sp <laughs> yeah, like I'm going to get that right. Spider-Man Noir. 
<laughs> Spider-Man Noir was the most difficult to animate because being only in black and white, um, he needed textual shading to kind of show how he was feeling at a certain point in time. It's very difficult to have a character who's predominantly um, in black and white. Um, the scene uh, where all the spider people are on the ceiling trying to avoid Miles' roommate took two months for just a few seconds due to the complexity of using all these animation styles, animating them together, animating them individually, but making them look flawless together is just... I feel like I'm just going to end every single paragraph with, it's just wow. <laughs> I am more articulate than that, I promise. So I want to talk about the characters, some of the characters specifically, where where this movie succeeds in just how it looks and how it feels and how beautiful and such an achievement it is. It would be very easy for the movie to fail its characters or to not have them grow and for the audience to not feel like they're really real. But the other thing this movie does so wonderfully is it takes these characters and you genuinely go on a journey with them. So I want to talk a little bit about some characters. Um, and we kind of got to start with Miles Morales because Miles is essentially finding a sense of self. Um, he's a biracial, half African-American, half Puerto Rican kid living in this wonderfully vibrant yet realistic looking alternate universe New York he his role model is his uncle Aaron who a man who seems effortlessly cool places no restrictions on Miles and Miles feels like he can really be himself around his uncle but he's kind of not himself what he's doing is just an extension of his uncle's personality he's almost emulating his uncle because he wants to be him so much it's not really who miles is um miles sees him as this kind of ultra smooth rebellious free spirit um unlike his father you know because his father is strict his father has expectations on miles um and miles neither wants nor appreciates that his father kind of projects this life of academic greatness on Miles, presumably because he never had that opportunity. Um, and that is something that you see with many parent and child relationships, that parents do want what's best for their child. And especially if the parent didn't have that growing up themselves, um, they really, really want to make sure their child has that. Um, and Miles really struggles with the weight of that expectation. Um because he liked his public school. He had good friends there. So arriving at private school and having to deal with the additional responsibility, there's a word, um, that's so far detached from the life of his uncle because that's the life that Miles thinks that he wants. Um, and what I get from Miles, I think, is that he's a kid with very little self-esteem who actively doesn't want to be seen as smart or capable or after he's bitten by the spider, he doesn't want to be seen as Spider-Man. Um, and the self-esteem that he does have, which is by extension of his uncle Aaron, is kind of slowly peeled away during the movie. Um, it kind of starts with witnessing the death of Spider-Man, um, which he knew that he had some powers, but he was powerless to actually do anything about it because he didn't have the confidence in himself to, to do something. Um, and what follows is pretty much a constant stream of Miles gradually becoming less and less 
confident in his self-worth. Um, and the introduction of the other spider people seems to devalue him somewhat because they're so competent and he isn't. Um, and then you get the realisation of who the Prowler is and the eventual death of his uncle at the hands of Kingpin. And I think that's when Miles really starts to question his choices. And not only that, understand that his choices matter. Um, and you get with the whole, you know, with great power comes great responsibility line uh, that's not in this movie. Um, his uncle, who he idolised, is dead because of his uncle's choices, not because of Miles's choices. And that's really important because it would be very easy for the movie to blame or to apportion some blame to miles for that it's not miles's fault and i think that fact that his uncle makes that very clear that this is not his fault this is aaron's own fault miles realizes that he needs to be better than that he needs to be ready to take on the mantle of spider-man but how will he know when he's ready is is kind of the question he asks peter v parker um and then we get the leap of faith um, which is probably one of the most iconic images in modern cinema. Um, the image of Miles falling upwards towards the New York City skyline with What's Up Danger in the background. And this is Miles diving into the unknown, but he's f fully immersed in the belief in himself, brought on by that talk from his father, who explains that he sees this spark in him. And he kind of takes that and he runs with it. And then it kind of adds on to the knowledge that his new friends need him. Um, by point <laughs> is um, I actually very recently ordered a print um, for my new house <laughs> and um, the print is actually that image of Miles Morales kind of falling up to the city because I genuinely think it's so gorgeous and um, and yeah I want it in my house so uh, I've ordered it and I'm going to get it um, but anyway <laughs> I digress um, I've always made it very clear that I don't swear on this podcast um, but if I did, I would use all of the F words that I could possibly think of to describe very inarticulately how incredible that one shot is. Because, or, or just any shot in this movie, actually. Um, because you could pause this movie at any point, literally any point, and you could print off that image and stick it on your living room wall. You could just have art around your house from Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse. Um, it genuinely is such a good looking movie um and not only is it gorgeous um it's genuinely funny um and genuinely very sweet the dramatic moments really hit home for me and probably for everyone actually the script is great the characters feel genuine the relationships between them feel real um sort of from rio's slightly overprotective mothering of miles to to his relationship with his dad who's Admittedly, we find out from his uncle Aaron that that Jefferson had a rebellious period as a kid, but you know he grew up, he became sensible, he joined the police, um, but then he witnesses his son potentially following the path that he wanted to avoid. So of course he's going to do whatever he can to make sure that Miles doesn't do that. Right, I'm going to move on now. I'm going to move on to Peter B. Parker. Peter B. Parker is probably my favourite of all the Spider-People. And that's mainly because of Jake Johnson. Uh, because Jake Johnson is a very, very talented man. He's going full Nick Miller on this character. But you know what? 
it really, really works. It really works to show how cynical he is with his lot in life. Um, he's not really the mentor type. Uh, but the relationship he builds with Miles and the resulting leap of faith he takes after witnessing Miles fully become the Spider-Man of this universe. And when I say about Peter B's leap of faith, um, I mean about going back to his dimension, which is essentially our dimension, um, and fully kind of attempting to reconcile with his MJ. Um, because throughout this movie, his character growth is so brilliant. Um he learns that he is worthy of love and respect, um, not only just from others, but also from himself, because he becomes this parental figure to Miles, um, and kind of by extension, um, we well, we find out earlier on that, well, MJ wanted to have children, and he really did not, I think he was very scared by that. He kind of, towards the end, uh, thinks that after he's done this, he's kind of got through this. Maybe having a child is something that he can do. He doesn't need to be afraid of his non-hero life. Jay Johnson is really, really great in this movie. And I I think his voice is just brilliant. Um, and as I said, what all of the cast are great. Um, Jay Johnson definitely deserves more recognition than he got. Because his Peter B. Parker is just so great. There is no one who I think could pull off Peter B. Parker like Jake Johnson. Um, he deserves more recognition, so I'm giving it. Jake, you're great. Um, and you're really good looking, and I completely dig that. Uh, but from a professional point of view, because I am a professional, honest, um, you are awesome in this movie. So, oh, thank you. Thank you <laughs> to the person who cast Jake Johnson. You win. I want to talk a little bit about Gwen Stacy in this movie because for me she seems to be modelled more on Emma Stone's version of the character than any other version of the character that we've seen in any other movie. I think we only saw Bryce Dallas Howard, I think, from memory. But anyway, um, I have already said that I really love Emma Stone's version um, in The Amazing Spider-Man. And at this point in this movie... Gwen is probably the most capable of all of the Spider-People up to this point. Even though she's not been Spider-Woman for very long, I think she mentions two years, um, she is incredibly competent. She is really the best version of Spider-Woman, or Spider-Person, sorry, um, at this particular point in time. Hayley Steinfeld uh, is an actor that I admire a great deal. Um, she tends to be terrific in everything um she was terrific in bumblebee by the way um which is on the list i'm hoping to get to do it at some point um and if i did have one tiny gripe about this movie and it is very very tiny it would be that we don't quite get enough of gwen i would love to see more gwen i'd love to see more of what she can do she is obviously a dancer she you can tell who she is sort of as soon as you see those blue ballet slippers um i mean we are apparently going to get a spider woman movie and i hope that we that will resolve that and that we will get to see a lot more of gwen and, and her abilities um it's also really nice as well um that we we do have certain female characters in this movie but we mainly have gwen and penny um it's really nice that neither of them are reduced to a love interest. I think that if we're talking about a character that is 
in the zone for love interest. It probably would be more Gwen than Penny. Um, but I always really appreciate when a movie is smart enough to know when to introduce a romantic interest and when to not introduce a romantic interest. And in this movie, it was the best decision to not have a romantic interest. It's not necessary. It would bog it down. It's not needed. Great decision, whoever made that decision. I also have to mention the man, the myth, the legend, Nicolas Cage. Um, he's a man who seems to have played every role possible in the world um, pretty much the same way. Um, I'm not going to lie. Um, and ironically, plays a character in black and white um, because I kind of feel like with Nicolas Cage, doesn't seem to be many shades of grey in his performances generally. Um, but he's great. He gives this Spider-Man noir a uh, real depth. Um, and this is probably one of my favourite Nicolas Cage roles, I think. And even though he's not in it that much, I think what he delivers is so great and so sharp and so funny and finally it's not finally because I've got so much more to say but just about actors and I mean there's so many that I haven't even mentioned I mean I haven't even mentioned Brian Tyree Henry who is just so great as Jefferson um but I have to mention Mahershala Ali um and the reason why I have to mention Mahershala is I did a podcast episode with Nick and Tiff over at Black Girls Do Stuff Too. Um, it's the one about thirst. Uh, that should tell you everything you need to know. And <laughs> and Mahershala uh, was on my list. Um, and Mahershala Ali is a man that's so smooth and so debonair. Um, his voice is just... Oh, it melts me. I swear to God. Uh, <laughs> he doesn't have a massive role as Uncle Aaron. Um Oh, he delivers. Um, and on a, a separate note, um, I can't wait to see him as Blade. I really can't. You don't get cooler than Mahershala Ali. I think he's going to just... I think he's going to be a phenomenal Blade. Um, but he, in this movie, he is just... Wow. <sighs> Thank you to whoever cast Mahershala Ali. Uh, <laughs> um, and, and just a quick point on the villains. Um, because the villains in this movie, I think, are suitably menacing. I love the inclusion of Olivia Octavius um, and her reveal is actually really stunning. Uh, Liv Schreiber does a commendable job um, at Kingpin uh, and Kingpin is just the most gloriously animated bad guy ever because he's literally just a square with a head, which I love because it really kind of shows how menacing this guy is. Um, but the only thing I would kind of say about Liv Schreiber is coming so soon after... Vincent D'Onofrio uh, played Wilson Fisk in Daredevil. I mean, that performance from Vincent D'Onofrio is so iconic and it's such a hard act to follow. I think Lee Schreiber does really, really well. I kind of feel like I would have really liked to have heard Vincent D'Onofrio, actually. Um, but again, I mean, I'm not knocking Lee Schreiber because I, I really like him. Um, but yeah, I think that's, re that's a really difficult one to call because I think that that Vincent D'Onofrio character is just so iconic. Um, you know, one of the best parts of Daredevil. There's a lot of great things about Daredevil, by the way, but he is just phenomenal in that series. Um, I want to talk a little bit about uh, the Spider-Verse, or the, the multiverse, so to speak. Um, and the thing that I really enjoy, I really enjoy theorising things about movies. I realise this makes me sound like a total nerd, but... 
the idea that every choice we make creates a new line of possibility. Um, and it's something I like to call the sliding doors effect. Um, and it's something that I've not mentioned for a long time, actually. I think the last time I mentioned the so-called sliding doors effect um, was in my episode that I did with Sade from Offscreen Babble about timelines in Avengers Endgame. Um, and I kind of feel like it relates to this as well, because the movie Sliding Doors, I think, explains the multiverse. Um, I think science calls it quantum mechanics. I call it the sliding doors effect. <laughs> this isn't a science podcast. Um, and I'm not going to quote a load of stuff off the internet about quantum mechanics uh, because that would make me sound like some sort of scientific scholar. I'm not. Um, so I call it the sliding doors effect because sliding doors gives you all of the information you need to understand the the idea that every choice we make creates a new line of possibility, which is kind of what I think this movie is talking about. So watch Sliding Doors. It is actually on my list. So I might kind of do it at some point. It's it's not on my upcoming list, but it is on the big list. Um, it's a really sweet little British Gwyneth Paltrow rom-com. Um, so yeah, if you're curious about timelines, multiverses, basically anything in this movie or anything over in Avengers Endgame can be described and understood by the sliding doors effect. There you go, trademarked. Um, the number 42 is also found throughout this movie. Um, it's not a reference to life, the universe and everything. It's actually to baseball player Jackie Robinson, who played for the Brooklyn Dodgers from 1947 to 1956. He wore the jersey number 42. Um, it's apparently also a lovely little nod to a since-deceased friend of director Peter Ramsey, whose shift finished at 3.42, which is a very weird time for a shift to finish. So Stanley actually passed away um, in November 2018, um, and Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse was released in the US on the 14th of December that year. And I like to think that Stanley would have loved this movie because I feel like Stanley loved everything that any of his characters featured in. Um, I think he loved it when people loved his work. Um, he actually has a cameo in this movie as Stan. <laughs> um, and he also has multiple cameos. And the movie was dedicated to him and Steve Ditko, Obviously, they both co-created the character of Spider-Man. And when a celebrity or a Republic figure dies, you always feel kind of a sense of sadness. But then you get on with your day. And when Stan Lee died, it felt really personal for me. And I guess for a lot of people as well, um, because he was such an intrinsic part of my life growing up as a young kid and, and as a young girl specifically with characters that I felt I could relate to more than anything else that I was told that I should be relating to at the time. Um, and that wasn't because I ha was anything special or had powers, even though I'm pretty sure that I did. Um, but because I grew up feeling that I was different. Um, and I've always kind of talked about my relationship with the X-Men being those characters that I really felt I could relate to as a kid. Um, but having this be the first movie released sort of after his death gives it more gravitas, um, as if more was necessary, because it's really not. Um, but he would have loved this movie, genuinely. Um, it's just such a testament to his character and everything that he worked so hard for. I think it's a wonderful tribute to him. It kind of goes without saying, actually, that everyone loved this movie. Literally everyone. 
and anyone who didn't is wrong but I didn't mean that I kind of did but I, I didn't um it's currently sitting at 97% uh, for critics and 93% for audience on Rotten Tomatoes it wasn't a mega 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 success at the box office it was made for 90 million dollars and it ended up making 375 million worldwide uh, definitely deserved to make more it definitely needed more bums on seats but it was still enough to warrant a sequel and spin-offs so the sequel is due in 2022 it can't come soon enough <laughs> i mean i really really want jake johnson to be involved um i feel like peter b parker's role is probably done uh, that doesn't mean i don't want more historically doing this podcast there's always loads that i forget and you probably listen to this and screaming that i've forgotten to mention something specific about a character or an actor or anything to do with this movie because there's so much going on um i always forget scores and soundtracks but i wanted to specifically call out the score because it's fantastic um it's by daniel pemberton um his prowler theme specifically is just i mean it's it's fear inducing i i don't even know how that's made but it's pretty cool um and the soundtrack is really great uh, it most famously includes sunflower by post malone and sway lee which is a wonderful track, by the way. And I often find myself singing along to it, Miles Morales style, um, because it's it's such a great song to sing along to. Um, Post Malone actually has a cameo in this movie as well. The rest of the soundtrack is pretty awesome. Um, I mean, What's Up Danger is... It's, it's in probably one of the greatest scenes in the movie, so of course it's completely epic. One thing I always like to do... Um, on this podcast most recently sort of from september um is i always like to try and link the movie that i'm talking to with mr keanu reeves and linking keanu to the mcu is is easy because i think keanu's been up for pretty much every role in the mcu ever um and i know they're very keen to get him involved but linking him to spider-man um is not so easy um and I try not to go the easy route on these because I like to challenge myself to link the movie to Keanu in some way. So here's my best shot at an obligatory Keanu reference for Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. At the very end of this movie, we're introduced to Miguel O'Hara, Spider-Man 2099, voiced by Oscar Isaac. Uh, I would love to see more Miguel O'Hara, by the way, and I would definitely like to see more Oscar Isaac. Anyway, um, so... Miguel actually ends up in the Spider-Man pointing meme. Um, and this was re-memed. I don't even know if that's a word, but I've made it up. Um, so this was something that uh, was quite a famous meme with Keanu after his your breathtaking moment at the 2019 E3 conference, um, where he obviously said you're breathtaking. And then it was kind of a meme with him and Spider-Man. It's not really a link to this movie. It's more of a link to Spider-Man. But you know what? I make the rules on this podcast. So that is my obligatory Keanu reference for Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. And if they manage to get him in the sequel, I would definitely be down for that. But there we go. That's, <laughs> there's a suggestion. Um, and finally, we're almost at the end. I mean, this, this might be my longest episode yet. I'm I'm not sure. We'll see. Uh, um, I mentioned in previous episodes uh, about the Academy. Uh, 
um, and about their failure to nominate the Lego movie or indeed give Kubo and the Two Strings the award for Best Animated Feature. The Lego movie not even getting a nomination is massive fail. Kubo and the Two Strings definitely deserve that award because it's perfect. Um, but not only did Spider-Verse get the nomination, it also got the win. Um, because it won Best Animated Feature at the 2019 Oscars, which so well deserved. Such a wonderful accolade for this entire team of just incredible artists and just such a wonderful culmination of all of that hard work that was put into this movie. And finally, finally, something that I'm featuring gets a win. So, yay. <laughs> um, this movie is... It's almost too perfect in its imperfections. Um, I mean, even sort of from the start where you get the glitching logos um, to the characters. I mean, we've talked about the characters and the colours. I mean, the colour palette in this movie is beautiful. Um, the beautiful hues of red and blue, um, which signify Spider-Man, um, are just genuinely, I can't begin to talk about everything that's so amazing. And I want to, I really, really do. But this podcast would literally be longer than the movie. Um, so what I'm going to do is, if you are interested in any of the things that Spider-Man is the Spider-Verse does so incredibly well with its animation and how it looks so beautiful, is I would recommend you go on YouTube and do a search for Spider-Man is the Spider-Verse. There's some incredible videos on there that go into real detail about all of the things that I've mentioned um about smear um about um animation on the twos instead of the ones uh, about what traditional motion blur looks like um about half tone and misregistration and Kirby crackle any of those things you can find on YouTube and I would definitely recommend you do because they are described visually so perfectly um, much better than I can verbally describe them because it's just pure genius art at work for this movie. Um, so yeah, go onto YouTube. They go into such amazing detail on animation styles. I would highly recommend it. It's really hard to describe uh, visual art on a podcast um, and I, it's hard enough for me to get my words out anyway so please go and do your own little research on it you will just be blown away this is my favorite movie of 2018 even though technically I saw it in 2019 um, it's probably the best spider-man movie ever made um, it's definitely one of the greatest achievements in animation ever um, it really had to be included in this animation season. It's sort of generational defying, if that's real or if I've just made that up. Um, I feel so strongly about how defying this movie is for a generation of movie lovers that I'd probably put it up there with Toy Story as this really defining moment in animation history. Um, it's just that everyone and their dog has seen Toy Story and not everyone and their dog has seen this. So what I would implore you to do is, if you've not seen this, why are you here? You should have seen this, but if you haven't, please go and see it <laughs> um, and tell your friends um, and get the word out. I know it's on streaming here in the UK. It's on Now TV. 
Um, it is available anytime you want to watch it. Even go out and buy it on DVD and Blu-ray. Um, I want this movie to accomplish what the Iron Giant couldn't. Um, because you know how much I love the Iron Giant. Um, tell your friends about the Iron Giant, obviously, too. But please, let's try and get as many people watching Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. People genuinely need to see this. They genuinely need to see. I keep telling people all the time, see Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. I say it so much that people in my life are bored of me saying it. But I will not stop until they watch it. So there you go. Anyone who's in my life who's listening to this, I will not stop telling you to watch it until you watch it. I always ask for social media thoughts. Um, and Spider-Man to the Spider-Verse, we got a lot of thoughts because there is a lot of people who love this movie. Um, so I'm going to quickly run through it. Um, I'm very mindful of the time because I really do think <laughs> I am considerably over time. I kind of don't care. Um I did extra work on this episode for a reason, so I don't care if I go over time. Um, so, first of all, Andy at Geek Salad Radio, who features a lot on this podcast because he always has something to say about stuff that I feature. So, he says... Uh, okay, let's go over this one last time. Into the Spider-Verse succeeds at putting the comic book back into comic book movie. But the gems, first on-screen appearance of Mars Morales, John Mulaney as Spider-Ham... Spider-Gwen, Nick Cage sucking down egg creams and punching Nazis, the best on-screen representation of Dr. Octopus, amazing, sadly overlooked score, and a positively banging soundtrack. Here comes danger indeed. At Cap Understands said, my favourite film of 2018 and the greatest comic book movie ever made gets better with every watch. Every character is created with love and has genuine personality. Love it. At Derek Jones, 198, said, I've never seen a movie look like this. It's gorgeous. It feels like I'm watching a comic book and it blows me away every time. I also love Miles' character arc, from insecure kid trying to live up to the great expectations to finally learning how to be himself and Spider-Man. At Filmbusters Paul said, The best adaptation of any Spider-Man property to date, as well as being one of the greatest Marvel movies ever made. The animation style is absolutely beautiful and it has quite a delightful soundtrack too. Cannot wait for the sequel. At Trivia Chic said, It's got so much heart and it doesn't get anywhere near the love it deserves. You can see how much went into it though. The big and small details. A favourite is how a bagel is thrown and upon hitting a scientist's bed, there's a little sound effect graphic that says bagel. <laughs> At Time Shifters Pod said it took me forever to get round to watching this. I had heard so many people rave about it. I was hesitant to watch, feeling I was only going to be disappointed. Damn, so wrong. Ended up being the best thing I'd watched all year. Might agree that it's the best Spider-Man film ever. At Bingeables Pod said this movie was so hopeful and vibrant with its visual effects and colours. I also enjoyed seeing the different versions of Spider-Man brought together. And last, it's nice to see a person of colour as the protagonist. At FWES Podcast said, The music in this is perfectly unexpected. At Movies and Teapod said, Easily one of the best adaptations of the material, perfectly capturing Spidey banter, while managing to introduce a wealth of characters and alternative versions as it played to the fans while not overwhelming the newcomers. Also, how awesome is Spider-Gwen? At TC by TV said, The best superhero film of 2018. At Stunt Goat 95 said, When it was first announced, I thought Sony were just trying to milk the franchise. Then I saw it, and wow. Amazing visuals, characters you really care about, 
funny touching with that Lord and Miller quality throughout. It gets better with every watch. Bagel. At Troyful Power said, Hype, I love this movie. I took my four and two-year-old cousins to see it in the theatre and they loved it too. It's got great action, hilarious jokes and a ridiculous amount of heart. This is everything a superhero movie should be and I can't wait to see what comes next. Also, Spider-Ham is great, both in being a spectacular comedic foil and in that they hand-illustrated a character in their CGI world. Moving over to Instagram, at Colby Told Me said, Best animated film of the decade. At E Crime said, I love this movie, I love the comic book feel mixed with the other styles of animation. It was fun, had a good soundtrack and was overall a nice film. At Friends and Flayers said, This movie was amazing, the detail and love put into the movie was out of this world, I loved every second of it. At Contrarian Prime said, Not enough praise has been given to Jake Johnson's voice work as Peter B. Parker. Damn straight. Jake Johnson, I love you. <laughs> and finally, <laughs> I realise he's married, by the way. <laughs> um, anyway, I really should stop. This is this is what happens when Keanu Reeves does not return my phone calls. Um, not real. Facebook, um, just over on Facebook, Laurel said, Can't say enough good things about this movie. Astonishing vocal, astonishing visuals. Spider-Gwen is goals. It evolves with the with great power comes great responsibility theme while paying respect to generations of Spider-Man stories. Nicolas Cage, John Mulaney. I could go on for hours, but Spider-Man is my favourite superhero and this movie captures all the reasons why. <sighs> okay. Ultimately, what this movie comes down to is this is a story about Miles wearing the mask. But the movie tells us that anyone can wear the mask. It's about Miles taking that leap of faith. But really, it's this movie that took the leap of faith. And boy, does it deliver. Thank you for listening. As always, I would love to hear your thoughts on Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Before I announce the next episode, I need to say a massive thank you to new patrons because Laurel and Derek have become patrons of this podcast and they host the absolutely outstanding podcast, The Midnight Myth. Um, they've become Johnny Utah tiered patrons. Um, I am such a massive fan of them and their podcast. Um, they are such wonderful people. I had the pleasure of going on The Midnight Myth a few months ago. Uh, talking labyrinth with them um, they are just so great I could have sat and talked to Derek and Laurel forever um, and I feel like I'm not spoiling much to say that they will definitely be on verbal diorama at some point this year returning the favor so they are definitely going to come on as guests and I cannot wait for that because we are going to be talking about something truly truly epic but massive thank you to Laurel and Derek for becoming patrons I really really do appreciate that it's worth mentioning as well um, that any money that actually is raised sort of through the Patreon is invested back into running the podcast. Um, a good example is my podcast hosting is up for renewal at the end of this month because it's my birthday. Well, it's a podcast birthday. It's not my birthday. It's the podcast birthday. So I paid for a year. So I'm going to have to repay. Um, and basically any money that I get through the Patreon will be helping to pay for that. Um, and essentially to try and make the podcast a bit better um i hope i'm also looking at options for things like merch and i'm looking to launch that at some point this year so um so yeah a thank you 
to Derek and Laurel. Thank you to all of my other patrons. I really, really do appreciate it. Um, so the next episode. So it's something that patrons get in advance. So currently, uh, patrons Sade, Simon, Hardy L, Claudia, Simon, Derek and Laurel already know what's coming next. Um, but there's no better way to end this year of Verbal Diorama um, than with the master of animation and storytelling. And also the studio that started my love of anime. And I'm talking, of course, about Hayao Miyazaki and Studio Ghibli. And for this final episode of the first year of Verbal Diorama, it's actually going to be three episodes, all released on the same day on the actual anniversary of the podcast. So on February 16th, 2019, I started this podcast journey with Titan AE. And on February 16th, 2020, I'm going to celebrate the podcast's first birthday with my first Studio Ghibli movie, my favourite Studio Ghibli movie, and the Studio Ghibli movie that Twitter voted for. So my first movie is My Neighbour Totoro. My favourite is Howl's Moving Castle. And Twitter chose Spirited Away. So next episode is going to be out on the 16th of February and there's going to be three to choose from. So three episodes, three movies, all out on the 16th of February. I hope that you will join me for one or all of them, um, whichever, it doesn't matter. Um, I'm also going to be including the answers to an AMA that I did recently on Twitter. Um, and also stay tuned on Twitter for details of a giveaway that I'm doing for the anniversary. Um, and what I'm doing is I'm going to, essentially give away a dvd or blu-ray of any movie that i've ever featured on the podcast in the last year so out of every single movie that i featured uh essentially you could win a copy of that movie um and that obviously includes spider-man into the spider-verse um and i'll be posting details on twitter of that giveaway very soon and finally, finally, um, I just want to give a massive shout out to Friends of the Podcast for your reference. Um, so that's hosted by Katie and Oti. Um, and the reason why I want to give them a bit of a shout out is they are also covering the movies of Heo Miyazaki this month. They are also celebrating their first birthday this month. We're essentially podcast twins. Um, I think not on the exact same day but we're february podcast twins um and they literally just dropped their spirited away episode um i've listened to it it's genuinely brilliant i mean i've i've genuinely learned so much about spirited away from their episode so please before i even get to the ghibli episodes go to for your reference and download their Spirited Away episode. It's marvellous. Um, it's incredible. If you're a Ghibli fan, please make sure you download it. And there are others as they come out. Um, I know they're doing Porco Rosso next, which I'm obviously not doing. Um, but while you're waiting for mine, download theirs. Because you can never have enough Miyazaki in your life. If you like this episode, I've also done episodes on... I'm going to take some water before I do this because... This list is getting really super long. And I'll be honest, I am seriously contemplating just 
not carrying on with it because I feel like this list takes up like seven minutes of a podcast. Here we go. So if you like this episode, I've also done episodes on Titan AE, Captain Marvel, Dread, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, Sky Captain and the World of Tomorrow, Pleasantville, The Cabin in the Woods, Speed, Aladdin 1992 and 2019, Pirates of the Caribbean, The Curse of the Black Pearl, X-Men Dark Phoenix, Charlie's Angels 2000, The Mummy 1999, The Matrix, John Carter, Willow, The Iron Giant, Scott Pilgrim vs. The World, Logan, Edge of Tomorrow, Legally Blonde, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Season 4, Episode 10, Hush, Mystery... (laughs) I didn't mean to say Hush so loud. How ironic. Mystery Men, Passengers, Stardust, Constantine, Arthur Christmas, Akira, Kubo and the Two Strings, The Incredibles and The Lego Movie. And they can all be downloaded wherever you get your podcasts from. You can follow me on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube and Letterboxd at Verbal Diorama. You can sign up to support the show on Patreon. So that's patreon.com verbal diorama. From $2 a month, you get perks, you get access to the upcoming schedule, you get a shout out on the next episode and on Twitter, and you also get episodes early. You can email me, general hellos, feedback or suggestions, verbaldiorama at gmail.com. My website is verbaldiorama.com. If you like what I do, even though I talk a lot, and you want to leave me a great review, you can do so on iTunes or Podchaser. I would really appreciate that. And finally, 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 I have a column over at Film Stories magazine, which is an independent British movie magazine. I would love if you would support it uh, by popping over to filmstories.co.uk slash magazine. You can purchase one-off copies. You can subscribe. You can also get digital subscriptions now. Um, I also do bits for Film Stories Online. So I recommend Great British Movie podcasts each week. And I also have a little iPlayer list of movies that are available to watch for free here in the UK, courtesy of the BBC. I also have some other things that I'm working on because I don't do enough right now with a full-time job, selling a house, buying a house, working on this podcast and writing columns for magazines. And there's definitely at least another five minutes in the day that I could be working on something else. So I am. (laughs) Um, And a final thought from me. That person who helps others simply because it should or must be done and because it is the right thing to do is indeed, without a doubt, a real superhero. Stan Lee, Steve Ditko, this one's for you. Thank you. Bye. Movie